Hello and welcome to Living Heritage, a show about people who are engaged in the heritage and culture sector, all those who keep heritage alive at the community level. I'm Tara Barrett, and today's guest is Mary Ellen Wright. Mary Ellen Wright has been the Professional Development and Outreach Officer, a.k.a. Archives Advisor, for the Association of Newfoundland and Labrador Archives, ANLA, for the last 15 years. She has a BA in History from Dalhousie University, a Master's from St. Mary's University, and has also studied History at Memorial. Prior to coming to Newfoundland, she worked at the Provincial Archives in Halifax, Nova Scotia. She was a contract archivist in various institutions around St. John's before starting with AMLA in December of 2000. Mary Ellen's job with AMLA has taken her to archives and museums from Nain to Grand Bank. Hi, Mary Ellen, and welcome. Thank you, Tara. So uh, just to start off, um, I guess for people who don't know, what is an archive? An archive uh, is a repository for... Uh, inactive records, so you wouldn't keep your day-to-day files there, but you might keep uh, older uh, materials there. The records that you might have, typically people think of them as like ledgers and diaries and stuff like that, and of course paper records, or as we say textual records, uh, would be part of it, but also photographs, maps, and architectural drawings, sound recordings, video, and other electronic formats as well. Those would all be things that would be kept. They would contain uh, information that would be of long-term administrative value or long-term historical or cultural value, and that's why we would keep them. And we tend to keep them in a space, which we call an archive, and that might be a building like the part of the room's provincial archives, or it might be a closet in a church basement, as long as that's a a well-maintained closet. And so how do you maintain a space uh, for it to be suitable for an archive? Um, Well, let's see. What are some of the things we need? First of all, you need to be able to lock it or control it in some way so that people can't come in and not necessarily just take things, but mess up the filing systems and so on, because if you can't find something, it's the same thing as having lost it. Um, So it needs to be able to be locked. In an ideal world, we would have environmental controls. We would have a controlled, uh, stable humidity, preferably around 55 to 60, well, 45 to 50% uh, humidity, uh, a controlled, steady temperature, and that would depend on what kinds of material you have. You might want it colder for color films, for example. Um, You want to... uh, you know, that's, oh yes, light. You don't want uh, um, too much, especially sunlight, getting in, so you want it to, to be dark. Uh, but those are the big things. And even if you can't keep, we have, that, that's the ideal, is to have some sort of environmental controls. But many, certainly many of, of ANLA's members uh, are in historical buildings, they're in the basement of their organization's building, and so on. So, you do what you can to keep things as stable as possible. So one thing that you mentioned was being able to find it. So how does an archive kind of organize things so that you're able to find what you have? Well, archivists have a process of getting... We One of the things that we try to do is to get control of our records, and there are a number of different kinds of control. Like you would have physical control, that is, you have it, it's in your control, it's locked in your space. There's administrative control, that you have all the paperwork done. There's legal control that says that you you have all your rights, business, and your ownership stuff straightened up. And my favorite one is intellectual control. And intellectual control means, basically, that you can find it. 
and it's probably what makes up the bulk of an archivist's work. And in order to get intellectual control, you start right at the beginning when the material is offered to you. Uh, the first steps would be appraisal and selection. Appraisal in this context doesn't mean money, monetary appraisal. It means uh, reviewing the material to see if it's appropriate for your institution. Can you, is, is it something that's relevant to your institution? Does it uh, fit in with your institution's mandate? Can you actually service it? Is it going to be something that's in so much demand that your seasonally open archives would have to open, be open year-round? Or can you provide uh, access in all the various formats that the collections have? So appraisal, is it suitable for your institution? And selection means selecting those things that are suitable for your institution, uh, either because they suit your form or because they're not, you know, heavy equipment catalogs from 1972, which are probably not archival unless you're the company that sells the catalogs. Um, so appraisal and selection, accessioning, and this is the paperwork of bringing the stuff into your, into your holdings. And those things, those steps, which don't really sound like people's image of an archivist, what they do is they make sure that you have all the rights to the material and make sure that you've got the beginnings of the information you need to process it. So that's those things. And then we get into what people think of as processing. Arrangement is the first thing. And in archival records, uh, it's really important that you maintain the original order of the records because often that will tell you something about the records themselves, about the priority that the organization that generated the records would have for certain things. The example that we commonly give is... Uh, when people were first starting to look at offshore oil rights and you know what whether the province would have uh, access to those rights there were no specific files in any government records that were dedicated to uh, offshore rights because it obviously wasn't a priority for them now if you pulled all the various references to offshore rights and put them in a file it would be useful to you administratively but it would give you an artificial idea of how significant those records were. So keep the things in the original order. Sometimes you know what the original order is because it comes to you in nice like banker's boxes all in order with files. Sometimes it comes to you in green garbage bags. And you cannot, there, there's no evident original order. But the records will almost always tell you what the order what the order is. I know of an archivist here on campus who used to say, she said, when I get some stuff, a, a set of records, she said, I spread it out on the table and I walk around it and say, well, now, you know, who are you? What do you have to tell me today? You can, you can lots of times it's obviously, it's straight chronological. Sometimes there are, there are obvious subject breakdowns. Sometimes you have to impose an order. Mm -hmm. The example we always use is uh, uh, a collection from... Uh, uh, a fall from uh, here in in uh, in Newfoundland at the uh, Archives and Special Collections. That's the Dylan Wallace fall, and his stuff came in in dribs and drabs. But he created it all, and it came in in different files and so on. So they sorted it in a way that reflected his work. So all the notes and records and correspondence about his each of his publications were sorted that way. But 
we they did this after considerable research and that's the last thing that you do is if you if there's no discernible order you try to figure it out but usually the records will tell you so that's arrangement that's figuring out what the records do and what they say the next step is description mm-hmm. description when you're doing description which is a, the archival word for cataloging um you are telling everybody else what you found out from the records so you arranged it, in other words, you found out how they worked, and you describe it, that is, you tell everybody else how it works. Once you have things that are arranged and described, that's all very good. Um, uh, the reason that you're doing this is not just for your own self. It's so that people can have access, and access is the end uh, desire uh, for all of these records, is that, that people should be able to get at them. That's not to say that some records aren't closed, that's not to say that some institutions aren't in-house archives only, but there should be a, you should be able to provide whatever access is required uh, at the end of the process, and you should have a plan for providing access. And then, finally, running like, well, we won't say a brook because that would be unarchival, but certainly running like a theme um, throughout all of this is preservation and that is making sure the records survive making sure that they're kept in good physical order that they're kept securely that anybody who has to handle them knows how to do it that if they're electronic or another analog uh, like audio formats mm-hmm. they can get uh, reformatted and reformatted whenever is required and so on so that's the steps from from when it comes to your door in the green garbage bag to when you uh, make sure that the researchers can use it. And so what is ANLA and what does ANLA do, I guess? The Association of Newfoundland and Labrador yeah. Archives. I the guess Association of Newfoundland and Labrador Archives, such a mouthful. That's, that's, that's what happens when you have a province that's called Newfoundland and Labrador. The Association of Newfoundland and Labrador Archives uh, has been around for a little more than 30 years now. And our job is to... Um, support the archival community in Newfoundland and Labrador by means of training, uh, outreach activities, advisory services. We we don't like to say advocacy because that's not um, something that's funded. (laughs) But, uh, um, you know, we do what we can. Uh, We do, how do we do those things? We do them by means of training programs. And I know you, Tara, have done some of Anna's training programs. Uh, In various things, we might do one. We do an introductory, an introduction to archives course every year that's a week-long course. We do various one- and two-day courses on preservation topics or copyright or uh, privacy issues or a range of different things that come up that are associated with archives. Some of them, some courses we offer because we think that people should have them and others we offer because there's been a demand for them. Digitization is a big, a big one. Um, We do site visits and as I said, I've been many institutions and organizations from Nain on the north coast of Labrador to Grand Bank down at the tip of the Bjorn Peninsula. And uh, we go in and like what I would typically do is I would go in and have a look at their holdings and see what they have, talk to them about if they haven't got them described, which they often don't, how to make sure that they do get organized, give them a little bit, in many cases, your, your capsule introduction to what is an archive. And uh, 
We also would look at if they look like there's any preservation issues. I'm not a conservator. That's a specialized job. But I've been hanging around with conservators all the time for the last 15 years. So I can, I can do the sort of introduction to conservation. And I can also, if, if I see problems that I think should have uh, some professional attention, I can make that recommendation and give them contact information. Uh, we'll talk about policies and procedures for uh, administratively protecting your your archives records, which policies and procedures are very important because they determine what an institution takes and how they'll keep it and how they'll provide access. So those are the kinds of things that I do when I go out, and that's what um, and that's what my predecessors did as well. They that's where usually there's only one of us employed in the office, and and uh, this is we we carry the gospel of archives, <laughs> and we might do that. We might we might do that for a small institution. Institution who never had any uh, had had no idea about the word. Uh, I know one one member said that when she was told she was she's she was a, a sister uh, and uh, she was told you will be the archivist and she said all I knew about archives was how to spell the word <laughs> and she went a long way past that because she availed of our endless services. We helped her where we could and pointed her to institutions where. You know, we could they she could get more information. So we would help these people or organizations who are at the very beginning of the process. But we might get called by the rooms mm-hmm. and asking. In that case, lots of times it would be questions about the archival community, or if we had heard of any other uh, people who were holding certain records, or they would be might be trying to decide on a policy, looking for additional input, or you know, different things like that. So we try to be. Uh, a communications link in the archival community here. And we also do stuff with the provincial government, with the Heritage Division. Uh, we, Along with the Museum Association, we've been working on a minimum standards project with the province to make sure that uh, community archives and museums are doing the basics. And if they're not, to show them how they can get to do the basics in a relatively painless way and in, in easy steps. Um, and we, like I know, I, I, I often will talk to uh, the Heritage Division about projects that come to them that have an archival component and they'll want to know, uh, you know, is this a realistic timeline? You know, is this really archival and so on? So those are some of the things we do. And I know uh, this summer you've got kind of a special project. So could you describe what you're doing this summer? Well, we've had a couple things on the go, but I think the one you're probably talking about is the one that's associated with World War One. Uh, as everybody knows, uh, the uh, uh, the anniversary, the various anniversaries of World War One are on the go now between 2014 and, I guess, really 2019. And we, ha- what are what we're doing now is what we're hoping will be the first step to a, a larger project. But what we're doing is consulting all of our members from Nain to Grand Bank and seeing what material they hold from that 1914 to 1919 period. It doesn't have to be anything to do with soldiers or the war or anything else because everything that isn't soldiers and war and stuff is the home front. And we're interested in those stories as well. So our idea is to create an inventory of those records. If they're not 
arranged and described and some of them aren't. Uh, our plan is to hopefully to help to get them arranged and described um, and eventually get them mounted on ANLA's uh, archival description database, uh, ARCANLA, A-R-C-H hyphen A-N-L-A, um, which uh, is working on being uh, a database of archival descriptions from all over the province, especially from the smaller institutions. So we have a folklore intern who's working on doing that contacting, that the first contacting, getting, and just contacting people isn't always easy because many of them are volunteer boards and the boards change and the contact information's change and the email servers change. And so that's what she's doing as, as her main that that's what her main function is is to work on that so if anybody's listening who is working with the community uh, archives museum or historical society that's an ANLA member um, and knows that there is they have material it might be Society of United Fishermen records it might be uh, women's missionary society it might be anything that would have records from that time period because it's all of interest because all of it I will guarantee you will have something to say about the war. So that's what we're working on right now. And do you have any other uh, projects, I guess, that stand out from the past as particularly interesting or, or particularly fun? Or oh. Well, we've been making these preservation videos, 15-minute um, quick-hit introductory videos for various archival topics. We did one on moving large paintings, because there's a technique to that, and they're often, in addition to the, the paintings themselves and the different types of, of material that they're composed of and what issues those provide, um, often they'll have elaborate frames or maybe very flimsy frames. So we had our first one was that, and then last year we did one on care and handling of scrapbooks, and scrapbooks are always problematic because they're compiled and then they're glued in or stuck in with pins or whatever. Um, they weren't always done on the best quality of paper, so we have a, uh, some information on that. And then this time what we're working on is uh, uh, care and handling of bound volumes, you know, the big ledgers or the little diaries or whatever, any of the bound volumes that, that would have their own special concerns for care and handling. And we've been actually working on that just lately. We work in these three videos have been done in conjunction with MUN's English 5000 course and where they do video production. So we've, we've uh, been fortunate enough to get a student each year who basically directs it all and arranges for the shooting and so on. Sometimes, certainly the last two years, we've had somebody in the office who could act as a technical assistant to them. And the last two years, we've been very fortunate. Uh, the, the rooms, Provincial Museum, usually has an intern from one of the conservation schools in Ontario. And with the cooperation of the rooms and the cooperation of these students, we've had them to do the script, and they've done the like the the performance. They've been the presenters, and that's been great. I've I've really enjoyed. All I do is just get them all together and set them in motion, and it's you know it's uh, th that those projects have been really good. And other things that I've been interested in. Um, if the government of Nunatsiavut is northern Labrador. It's the Inuit land claims area, and it's a, a semi-autonomous part of the province. And uh, they'll be 10 years old now, I think it's this year. And 
they are working on making archival policy, deciding what their archive is going to look like. Is it going to be uh, a government archives? Is it going to be exclusively government archives? What is it going to be? And I've been working with them on that, and I've really enjoyed that. It's nice to be in at the ground level. So, And then there's always exciting little things that you find, you know, throughout the province. Interesting uh, sets of records, uh, new uh, organizations, maybe older organizations that have been revitalized. It's always very satisfying. Actually, one thing that I was going to ask was... Uh what your, I guess, your favorite thing about archives was, if you had to choose? Oh, my favorite thing. <laughs> well, in terms of if you're going to look at the archival process, I like arrangement because I like going through the records and seeing how they work. I worked with one set of records I was shown. I, I went to a place to see, to look at some records that had had some preservation attention. And I looked at them and they're beautiful and they're very well. They, they did a good job of, of following the recommendations and things are very secure. And then they said, well, we found this stuff. And they brought out to me this big tea crate, big wooden tea crate. And it looked like somebody had taken the file folders and just shaken them into the box. And there was no discernible order. So I spent a couple hours going through them and determined that probably it should be uh, chronological. It was fascinating records. So that was very good. That's what I recommended to them. I, that, that was interesting. It was nice to handle the records. A couple of years later, I went to another uh, institution in the region, and there were all these boxes, these I don't know whether you've ever seen them. One of the ways that they used to keep records was they'd have these cardboard boxes and then there would be sort of an insert with rings and then you'd put the letters on like a two-hole punch and put them on the rings and then you'd slide them in and out of the boxes. So I saw some of those boxes, which I hadn't seen before, and I went to look at them. Lo and behold, they were the sort of the first half of these records that had been in the tea box and they were still in their original order and they were chronological and I was very pleased with myself. So, I mean, you see stuff like that. What else have I seen that I that I love? There's a photo album at the Girl Guides office and it's from the late 20s or early 30s. It's a series of photographs that were taken at a Girl Guides camp, I think out around Holyrood or somewhere. And uh, it was taken by Elsie Holloway who was the daughter of Robert Holloway, who was a very famous Newfoundland photographer, and Elsie followed in his footsteps. And her photographs are very distinctive, and they're beautiful. And that is a wonderful album. It's a beautiful album. It was very full of wonderful action shots and little girls crawling out of bed with their hair all messed up. If any of them are still alive today, they're very old. Or uh, the United Church Conference Archives, um, a lot of the... The rural churches, the Methodist and then United, were not self-supporting. So they were supported by missions from other places, so there would be fundraising and so on. And they had a superintendent of missions here, Reverend Maxwell Daw. And he took pictures so that he could have lantern slides and take them around to the churches in Ontario and raise money. And they're wonderful pictures because they weren't just of church. They were of other things as well. So those are some things that I've been interested in. Uh, one thing that I wanted to ask is uh, what kind of issues come up when you're dealing with archives and archival material? The biggest thing that we meet in, in Newfoundland, probably in Atlantic Canada or any place where there's a lot of water, is mold mm -hmm. because it, it grows in warm, damp places 
where there's not a lot of light and doesn't take much to set it off. And mold is a big problem because it damages the material. It can also be toxic to the staff. So we there would be very few weeks when I didn't get a call about something. Um, uh, what we what I always say is get yourself some freezer bags, some Ziploc freezer bags, and put them into the freezer. That does not kill the mold, but it first of all it isolates it and it keeps it inactive until you can consult somebody and see like how involved it is. It may be I can think of one institution here. Uh, they had a a fireproof vault and it was very good and well monitored, but it. One of the walls was an outside wall, and they inspected regularly. But between one inspection and the next, like between like in a couple of weeks, a, a lot of the records on this outside wall picked up a film of mold just out of nowhere. So because they were doing regular inspections, they picked that up. They got the stuff. They put it in the freezer. Because they were in St. John's, they had better access to a conservator. Um, the conservator looked at the material and determined that it was just a surface infestation of, of mold. And uh, they waited for a good sunny day in the fall and they put on their masks and gloves and they took some... Uh, uh, cleaning? Yeah, just like, like little, little cleaning sponges like things, special, uh, like things that you might use to remove smoke from things. And uh, they cleared... You, they cleaned it out in the outside air, so that first of all you've got good air circulation, and secondly you've got that UV light that kills that kills the mold. But they did that under supervision, so we're always getting calls from various places. So that would be one problem that we often get. Another one. One of the things that we think about when we think about our archival uh, records is their provenance. That is, how are they, not in, in, in museum terms and antique terms and so on, provenance is the history of ownership. ownership. But in archival terms, it's the, um, the history of the creation of the record, who created it, and, and what was it created for, and so on. And that, what that does is it provides context. Now, what we will sometimes get is people who got various sets of records and then broke them up and sorted them up sorted them in into other categories and that doesn't mean that all the information like they, they, they often can still the records can often still tell good stories but they can't tell the whole story and the example that I would give is this one one community uh, archive when it first started out acquired among other things the records of three uh, sort of early 20th century uh, photograph studios that were in the community and they're wonderful records. They're wonderful sets of, of photographs. And so what they did is rather than keeping them as individual sets of records, individual fall, we'll call it, that's what we call a set of records that belongs to one indiv individual or group of fall. Um, instead of keeping them as separate fall, they sorted them out so that there was pictures of Main Street and pictures of this and a subject and this period and so on. Um, well, that's very useful for most of what they do, but what you miss is the story, the stories that the records can tell as a set of records themselves. What can they tell you about that, uh, those businesses? What can you tell about, uh, there's a lot of things that the, looking at those photographs would tell, it would tell you about probably community networking, it probably would talk to you about class, uh, 
a range of things in addition to the information that's contained in the photographs. So fortunately, when they did that, they were meticulous about writing down which photographer did which picture. So at any time, they could reconstitute that and they could do the research on the various photographers and they would be able to, I always like to say, look back through the camera and see that business and how it worked in the community. So we get that quite often and it's certainly understandable. And some some can't be reconstituted. And maybe some came in like two photographs from this one and then maybe 10 years later another three or four photographs from that one. And you know, how far do you go? But that would be the one, uh, that's the place where I think you lose the most archival information mm -hmm. is that way. Um, we're running low on time there, but if I could just ask you one quick question. Mm -hmm. um, what do you think is something that everyone should know about archives that maybe you haven't mentioned just now? I would say there's two things. Okay. Number one is what we're really, our job is to preserve the information. Ideally, we, prefer, we preserve the, the record too. We preserve the ledger, we preserve the photograph or whatever. But if you can't, if the thing is so badly damaged, if the paper is crumbling or the mold infestation is too bad, your responsibility is to the information. Does that mean digitizing and disposing? That's what it is. So that's one thing you want to know. Your duty as an archivist is to preserve the, the information is the first thing. And the other thing that you should always remember, I, I was up in, in Rigolette not too long ago doing some work, and they were, I was talking about the archival process, and they said, um, I said, and I came to access, I said, this is what we do it for. Well, they were very excited because they just thought of an archives as something, someplace that things went and they just went in there and they never came out. So that's what you have to remember. That's the biggest thing you have to remember is that you can process it all you like, but you have to have a provision for access. You have to think about how people are going to use things. We, you know, we've talked about that again and again, and that's probably the biggest lesson I would give to people. So information and access. Mm -hmm. So I'd just like to say thank you, Mary Ellen. Um, this has been Tara Barrett, and you've been listening to Living Heritage, a production of CHMR Radio 93.5 in collaboration with the Intangible Cultural Heritage Office of the Heritage Foundation of Newfoundland and Labrador. Find us online at ichblog.ca or on iTunes. Thanks for listening.